0: Have you ever felt that in order to be an effective, powerful leader, you had to sort of put on a leadership mask and be someone or something that you weren't authentically deeply in your soul? If this resonates with you, this podcast is a must listen. You are going to learn how to leave that leadership mask behind and all those other expectations that other people have of you and how leadership should be. And you are going to learn how to lead authentically according to how you want to lead. And the conversation I have today is going to inspire you to do just that. So, welcome to episode 129 of the Empower Podcast. Welcome to the Empower Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. This show helps you turn insights into action for powerful leadership growth. And I am so excited to welcome my guest today, Abby Moore. Abby is the current COO of Petco Love, and she's formerly the CEO of Adoptapet.com. She also is the creator of Rehome, which is the leading peer-to-peer pet adoption platform in the U.S. And Abby speaks to what Rehome is and how it's helping animals across the country. Abby's passions and expertise run the gamut from animal welfare to product strategy and development to leadership and culture building. And Abby develops connected cultures because she is such a deeply authentic leader. I can't wait for you to listen to my interview with Abby. So let's dive into our conversation. Abby,
1: I'm so glad you're here today. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure. And I've been a fan of your podcast for a long time, so I'm just excited to be on it. Aw, thank you, Abby.
0: Well, I would love for you just to start by giving my audience a little bit of history about
1: yourself and as well as your career history. Sure. So, I mean, when you ask me for history about myself, my career history is really what comes up for me. Um, I'm so wrapped up in in what I do. I have really been incredibly lucky because for the past 20 or so years, I've been able to work in a field that is incredibly close to my heart. So I um A little bit more background. I I came from the entertainment industry. So I was a creative executive. It was my job to look for scripts to make into films or books to make into films. And I was never really satisfied with that. I felt like I was just in the wrong field. And then um, I saw an ad for a job working for a dog rescue organization. I think it paid $12,000 a year. But I had always wanted to do something to help animals. And so I got into that. And from there, I found myself with an opportunity to join an organization called, I was then called 1-800-SAVEAPET.com because it was actually a phone number that you could call in addition to a website and then became adoptapet.com. And I was employee number two in this organization, this website. We started off with very little knowledge of the technical space in which we were operating. We were just two people with a lot of passion and learned a whole lot over the next 18 years that I was with adoptapet.com. And then as part of that, I created a product called Rehome, which is North America's uh, foremost peer-to-peer pet adoption platform. Um, And I left all of that behind fairly recently. And I am now working with Petco Love Lost, which is... A, an independent nonprofit that's sort of loosely affiliated with Petco, um, and I'm working on some really cool stuff there. So my my job, my title is COO. My title at Adopt-A-Pet was CEO. Um, and really what I'm d- working on is um, direct-to-consumer technology solutions that help people and animals. But my huge passion, overriding passion, even beyond, you know, dogs and and cats and helping animals is leadership and building teams and creating cultures that are inviting and safe and, you know, building workplaces that where people really love to come.
0: Absolutely, Abby. And I love your passion for what you do and also the boldness of, hey, I, I'm going to leave this job that isn't really satisfying to me. And I'm going to (laughs) go take this other job, obviously, that pays less, but really fulfills me on a deep level. And I'm curious, how did you make that transition? Because I think there are a lot of people listening to the podcast. I know there are a lot of people listening to the podcast that are having that same feeling. They're saying to themselves, I want to do something different. I want to follow what's heart-centered and what feels really aligned and fulfilling to me. But you know, I don't know that I can make that leap. Maybe I have some golden handcuffs. maybe maybe the transition seems a little bit too difficult or the gap is too big right now. What would you say to that person?
1: Sure, so I'll actually give a better example of what you're talking about because if I were to answer that question uh, in terms of how I left the entertainment industry, I think it would be pretty disappointing. I got laid off, <laughs> so okay. I didn't really have a choice. I was waiting for my next my next job. I'd been. Promised a job um, running a famous actress's production company that was going to be spun up, and in those months where I was waiting, I was just getting dissatisfied and questioning why I was in the entertainment industry. But more recently, um, I think the example of how I left Adopt a Pet is a little bit more. Um, I don't know. It's it's a little closer to, to what you're getting at. I think so. Adopt a Pet was a nonprofit organization for. 17 of the 18 years that I was with it. And then it was acquired by a large corporation, um, an innovation pod within a larger corporation acquired us. And we became a for-profit company, and I joined the leadership team of this other organization as well. And it was was a big change for me. And I certainly did have golden handcuffs. I had um, a quite sizable retention bonus that, you know, I had to stay for a certain period of time or I would have to return it. And I don't know, like six or seven months in, I just started really having a strong feeling that it wasn't for me. And even though I had all of this history and I loved this organization, Adopt-A-Pet, so much and had, you know, it was just in my veins, um, the new situation just wasn't feeling right to me. So I I took a step back and just thought about all the eventualities and I realized that I have one life, you know? I have just this one opportunity and what I want to do with that opportunity is make impact. I want to make impact on people, I want to make impact on animals, and I want to be happy. And you know, those are very simple things. And it's a very simple question to ask myself. Am I making an impact on people? Am I making an impact on animals? Is this the place that's going to allow me to do that? Am I happy? And when I came up with no to all three of those, um, and I had another opportunity present itself, I gave back that money and I made a leap. And I have tried hard not to look back at that. Yeah.
0: And I love that, again, it's it was rooted in your values. It was rooted in what was really important to you. And you made that decision basically at all costs to stay cemented in those values. And I think that's such an important lesson for my audience. I think it's something I talk about a lot in terms of values-based leadership, not only how we lead our teams, but also how we lead ourselves, how we lead our life and align to what is important to us. Because I think there are so many people out there that are really unfulfilled and unhappy in their careers. Also, I I love the idea of taking a step back, taking a pause to really reevaluate and assess, is this in alignment? And I I encourage people to do that. I know, I I don't think we always take the time to do that. So I think your story is really inspiring.
1: Thank you. You know, it, it all got a little bit confusing there for me because as I was starting to feel myself being dissatisfied, I also questioned myself a lot. You know, is it is it really that I'm not happy or is it that I can't keep up? Is it some deficiency in me? Is it that I can't succeed in a for-profit corporate environment? Um, and so I took the opportunity, as I always do, to berate myself, <laughs> you know, as so many of us do. I took the opportunity to really just um, look at all the ways that this could be just, a, you know, my fault or a deficiency in my abilities. After all of that, I really, it really did come down to values. It really did come down to, you know, I had to separate myself from the sort of imposter syndrome and really understand that I am capable of doing anything. And even if it, it you know, wasn't a comfortable situation. I love learning new things. I love jumping into new situations. Mm-hmm. This just really wasn't right for me.
0: Yeah. And let's talk about imposter syndrome for a moment, because when you look at your resume and you hear your story, so you grew a startup nonprofit from two people to a large organization that was acquired by a larger organization. It turned into a for-profit you know, you were the CEO of that organization. You're currently the COO of Petco Love. On paper, I mean, you are a powerful leader. You have a powerful position. You have a lot of experience. And so I hear you talking about imposter syndrome. And I'm sure there are people out there that are feeling a sense of relief that someone at your level is talking about imposter syndrome and that recently you were struggling with imposter syndrome. And so what do you say to other leaders out there that are struggling with the same thing?
1: I love talking about imposter syndrome because <laughs> I have suffered with, you know, from it my entire career. And I think it really stood in the way early on in my career um, of me becoming the person that I could have be, that I could have been much earlier. So what I have realized is that everybody feels imposter syndrome almost everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, I wrote a, a blog post about it some years back. Um, and it was really because I feel like the kindest thing that we can do for each other, especially as women leaders is to talk about these things that are hard to talk about. Um, and when I wrote it, I was shocked by the people who came out of the woodwork, thanking me for writing this piece. And some of them were MBAs, you know, had, had, were MBAs from Harvard or had gone to Oxford you know and a lot of them were men so it was really interesting it just showed me that it really is not a unique experience and the more that we can talk about it and assure others that it's not a unique experience it's just part of the human it's part of the experience of being a human being i think it makes it easier for us to sort of quiet that voice in our head and just understand that this is just part of being a human being and it's probably not going to go away. And despite that, I can succeed. Despite that, I can choose to believe in myself. I can tell myself I'm not that great an actress. I, you know, how could I possibly have been fooling people for this long? They'd be onto me by now. Right. (laughs) So, um, and I remember very specifically the first time I ever had that thought it blew my mind when I realized, wow, I'm actually not acting as a successful person. I have, I have created some success. I've experienced some success. And even, you know, even though it feels like I'm not the same as other people that I look at other leaders and I say, I'm not that person. I'm my own person and that's okay. That's enough. Yes.
0: And I know it's one of your core beliefs. I know from having conversations with you that one of your core beliefs is that you are enough authentically exactly the way you are. One of the reasons why I'm having you on the podcast is because you are such an authentic leader. And I think you you lead in such a powerful way by being so authentic and vulnerable and humble. So I would love for you in your perspective to kind of share a little bit about your authentic leadership style and how you
1: feel others
0: should you know really tap into their authentic leadership as well
1: sure so i think that my authenticity as a leader really started as a defense mechanism i was um i was so insecure stepping into the role of a leader who would lead other people and i would look at these people and say they're so smart how could i possibly lead them they're going to see right through me and so as a defense mechanism, I started to preemptively admit to them when I didn't know something. You know, I would I would sort of be self-effacing. I would um, ask them to teach me something or I would say, this is not my area of expertise, so I really want your input. And over time, you know, that insecurity, you know, quieted down. But I realized that by just being my authentic self and admitting my own fears and my own weaknesses, it puts people at ease, mm-hmm. and it is—it's a great tool. Actually, you don't have to know everything, um, and you won't know everything. I mean, I have people who report to me whose job I could never do. I have our chief technology officer reporting to me. I can't write a line of code, you know, <laughs> but I can still be a good leader to this person because I—I I am myself and I, I have empathy. But when you are able to just be comfortable with who you are and not feel like you have to act like you know everything and just, you know, be a human being. It gives other people the permission to do the same. And when people who report to you feel like they can be authentic, there are are so many great things that come out of that. I mean, not the least of which is it makes it easier for you to lead them. It makes it easier for you to coach them in areas where they need help because they're comfortable admitting those areas where they need help instead of always feeling like they have to put on a perfect face for you and cover up their shortcomings. Um, It really, it it creates a a bond of trust where it's like an unspoken promise that you can be open with me and I'm going to help you. And I'm not going to use your shortcomings against you. We're just, we're both, we're two human beings in a relationship. And my job is just to support you here. So that's really where the, you know, the authenticity comes from. It was kind of a, it was a weakness, I thought at first, that really developed into, I think, a strength. Mm-hmm.
0: That's such a beautiful story, Abby, in, in turning kind of what you thought was your weakness into a core strength of your leadership. And I'm curious for my listeners, if you could relay your authentic leadership into some tactical approaches to leadership? Because I, I think a lot of people are listening saying, great, you know, I, I want to show up as an authentic leader, but how do I do that? So what are some of the specific things that you do either on a daily, weekly, monthly basis with your people that really highlight your authentic leadership?
1: So one thing that I think is really important is, and I know, you know, this might be controversial and some people may not be comfortable conducting themselves this way. But for me, it's important for me to bring not just my authentic leadership persona to work with me, but my authentic human persona, you know, who I, who I am um, in my personal life as well. And so when I meet with the people who report to me, Often we'll start off, you know, with a check-in, and we're we're remote, so mm-hmm. uh, you know, we have some people who who work on-site, and we have some people who work remotely. But at Adopt a Pet, we were all remote, so that was 18 years. And when we meet, you know, it it's really helpful to connect on a personal level, especially when you're never seeing each other face to face. So we we'll start with a personal check-in, and I usually start because I know that I can set the tone by telling some stupid, embarrassing story of something that happened to me that day or something that's on my mind or, or be really serious and, um, you know, sincere about something that is upsetting me or something that I'm stewing about. And I have found that more than anything, that has been the key tool to getting people to feel comfortable I've noticed that right off the bat, after I open up, you know, my my own self, I see people's shoulders kind of settle down. I see people relax and I see them, you can almost see it in their face, like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I don't have to be perfect here. And then, you know, people start talking about themselves also. And once we realize that we're all human beings with our own frailties who have our own fears and you know, our own backstories, it makes it easier for people to relate to each other, not just to me, but to each other. And then it opens up the communication all the way around. So that to me is just like creating the trust. That's the foundation of, of everything.
0: Yes. I, I completely agree with you. And one of the questions I get in my coaching practice, and I'm curious to hear your perspective on this is when I'm talking to my leaders about Showing up as their authentic selves, you know, developing that trust and that bond and the connection with their teams. One of the pushbacks that I get sometimes is, you know, that's great, but there is a part of me I'm afraid to open up too much. I'm afraid to be too friendly because then I'm afraid when projects don't get done, things don't get turned in. How do I hold that accountability if I'm kind of too friendly of on on too friendly of terms with my colleagues or you know my my staff. So I'm
1: curious to hear your perspective on that. That is a tough one for sure. Um and it really is it's a line that I've been able to walk and I don't know exactly how. I think it is it starts from including that accountability piece from the very beginning. So it's not all just hey, I'm your best buddy. And, you know, this is a free for all, but it's like, Hey, I'm a human being. And, and because of that, I'm going to be able to tell you what I expect from you. And because we have this, this bond of trust, not only are we going to be able to really like each other and trust each other and have a great working relationship, but when it's time to have the difficult conversations that we have enough trust in our relationship where we can sit down and do that and still move on and still have a a good trusting relationship you know i think that you know that's been tough at times but one thing that i also think is really important when you're building a good culture uh, a culture where people can feel comfortable is setting expectations very very clearly so having clear goals and okrs understanding what is expected you know that's really the the solid ground under people's feet when they come to work so you know knowing who you are as a leader is part of that. And when you're, when you're able to be your authentic self, you're not the kind of leader where, I mean, hopefully you're not the kind of leader where you're the people who report to you are like, I don't know, you know, which Abby I'm going to get today. Is it going to be the good Abby or the bad Abby? Is it going to be the hard ass Abby or the Abby who wants to joke around? Because, you know, I'm just me every day. So I think that helps people to feel a little bit safer. Um, But yeah, to answer your question, I think it really is just making sure that you're building in those professional expectations right from the get-go as part of this, this culture of trust that you create with people.
0: Yeah. And what I'm hearing you say too in your response is that when you have that baseline of trust as a foundation those difficult conversations are oftentimes easier because they're based on trust. And then you don't, you're not getting a lot of defensiveness. You're not getting a lot of pushback. It's, Hey, how do we, how do we dig in together to resolve this? How do we support each other to move past this challenge or this roadblock in the road or this late report, et cetera. And, and because you have that basis, it's much easier.
1: Yeah. I mean, a difficult conversation is just that. It's difficult. It's never fun. It's never easy. And I'll be honest, I'm not great at it. When I have when I have to have difficult conversations with people who work for me, even if we have this great trusting relationship, often I'm just stuttering my way through it. But because I'm comfortable with myself, I'm fine saying, I know I'm stuttering through this conversation and it's because this is hard for me. Mm-hmm. And I want to do a good job. And I want to tell you what I expect from you. And I don't I also don't want to, you know, to hurt you. And I don't want to, you know, take your ego down a peg. And I don't want to create a, a you know, a, a an obstacle between us or harm our relationship. And so that's part of doing a good job of having difficult conversations is freely admitting how you're feeling about them and why they're difficult for you. Um, I think if we can all if we can all do that, if we can all not just communicate what we want to say, but also communicate the sort of communication behind the communication, sure. it, it really helps to get us through those tough, those tough moments that are tough for all of us.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Abby. And, and what you're sharing is one thing I talk about is setting the emotional table for people. Hey, this is a really difficult conversation for me to have with you, you know, or this might be really difficult for you to hear as well. And just kind of setting that emotional table for people to be prepared to take in what's coming their way, be prepared to respond. And I, so I love everything that you're sharing, and I appreciate it. Um, I know one of the things that you believe in in your leadership is you have a big emphasis on coaching and mentoring. And would love for you to share a little bit more about that, because I know that's part of kind of the culture that you build as a leader in helping to develop people and, and elevate people. And so would just love to hear kind of your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I, I have always loved coaching people. Um, and I, I can't think of anything more satisfying than when something I say really sinks in and, and it helps somebody, you know, to move past an obstacle. Um, I have now gotten to a point in my career where the people who report directly to me don't need as much coaching. I've got an incredible team. They're just top notch. And so I find myself coaching them how to be coaches. And that's also really fun. So, you know, it is, I think earlier in my in my career, people would come to me with something and I was very prescriptive. This is what you should do. I thought that was my job as a leader. And over the years I discovered that it's so much better for me to help people come to realizations on their own, for me just to ask the right questions. That is such a huge part of being a good people manager. And it's actually an important part of everything, you know, being a developing products, you know, um, basically anything you can do, asking the right questions is, is really key to that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Obviously, I agree because I'm a coach, but, but, and so I believe in the process of coaching. I think a couple of pushbacks that I hear from leaders I coach are two things. One is it's really hard for me to take the time to coach because it takes more time for me to do that. I could just do it myself. Obviously, I have my own opinion about this, but I want to hear yours. And then the second thing I hear quite frequently is, I can coach people and ask them questions and then they come up with their idea but it's not really what where I was hoping that they would get to. I have more perspective because I have more experience and so I kind of wanted them to take, you know, path A, but through the coaching they decided to take path B and it's not exactly what I was hoping that they would choose. So how do you kind of address both
1: of those topics? So I'll start with the, the second one. Um because that is definitely very common. And I guess the answer to that depends on what's at stake. You know, is it is is what you're coaching them toward something that affects, you know, a, a billion dollars in revenue? Or is it something that, you know, if you, if they get it wrong, it's really not high stakes? Because if that's the case, set it up as an experiment. So if you can help them create you know, a framework where they're testing out their idea in a safe way, then that's great because there's always a chance that you're wrong. I have found that many times where I have thought for sure I was right about something. And I've sort of felt like I was humoring somebody by allowing them to run off in a direction and test something. And turns out, hey, their way was just as good or better than mine. So and that's a wonderful thing to find out, by the way. That's a great thing. I mean, that's a wonderful thing about being wrong. It's like, wow, I have other people around me that can trust. I, I can trust. I don't have to feel like the whole world is on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, if it's higher stakes, of course, you might want to step in a little bit and, you know, try and evoke the answers that you're looking for. And if you really feel strongly that your way is the only way, then step in a little stronger and say, hey, what do you think about this idea? Still try and and make it be a little more collaborative. But if you can, you know, use a little more influence rather than authority to steer people in, in the direction that you want them to go, you know, great, do that. But as often as possible, I like to let people experiment with their own ideas, even if I don't think that they're as great as mine would have been.
0: Yeah, no, thank you Abby. I appreciate your perspective on that. And you're talking a lot about uh, you know, your authenticity as a leader. And I'm curious for maybe those who are listening that are newer leaders who are saying, you know, Abby seems really really confident and really sure of what her authentic leadership looks like, what it feels like, how her team experiences it. But as a new leader, maybe maybe I don't know how to find my authentic leadership. So I'm curious to know, kind of, maybe if you share a little bit about your journey on finding your authentic leadership, or, you know, also any advice you have for someone who's maybe struggling to find their authentic leadership.
1: Yeah. There's a misperception sometimes about leadership in general, that there, you have to have some kind of a leadership persona. That there's like a leadership mask that you put on. And I think maybe that comes from the old style of leadership, where you know, that that picture of the manager who comes in the room and is like this larger-than-life person who um is scary and intimidating, and you know, just lays out on the line exactly what they want done and leaves the room. That's not necessarily great leadership. And I think if we can as much as possible remove that sort of mask that we try and put on like hey I'm coming in I'm Abby the leader now and just be like I'm Abby the person I'm a person and furthermore what is leadership I mean it's really service that's all it is you know anybody can be a good leader if you can recognize the things in your in yourself that make you able to serve people well my job as a leader is not to come in and be impressive my job as a leader is to come in and find where things aren't working or what obstacles people who work under me are facing and do everything in my power to remove those obstacles or to amend hurt feelings or to bring in a new resource or whatever I can do to be an enabler. That's who I am as a leader. So I think once I remember that, that I'm not here to put on a show for anybody, that I genuinely have have ways to help people where they need help. It helps me to kind of put aside my own like constant self-awareness of like, Oh, am I, am I being the person that I want to be? Am I showing up as the, as like the, the big leader who walks in the room? And it, it helps me to be more comfortable with, no, I'm just me. And I am, my job is not to be better than anybody. My job is to see things from a different angle And to come in and and like fill gaps and also to have a forward vision and, and all of those things, you know, that, that are uh, apart from the sort of people leadership, you know, parts of leadership. Sure. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense.
0: And I know we've been talking a lot about leadership, but I really want to go back to your baby that you've created. I know that is so important to you. We'd love for you to talk about rehome. I know you talk about it being the peer-to-peer pet adoption platform, but tell us more about that. And it sounds like a great service, but, you know, would like to just understand a little bit more about how it works and and what it does.
1: Yeah. So I don't work with Rehome anymore, but I do miss it quite a bit. So Rehome um, was, you know, an idea that, um, you know, came from recognizing that people didn't have great options when it came to finding a new home for a pet. So, you know, if you have a pet and you need to find a new home and you care about where that pet ends up, as so many people do, you know, you can ask a friend or family member to take that pet. But if you don't have somebody who's able to do that, then what? Then you can try and find a, a rescue organization um, that has, you know, foster homes and will take care of your pet in their home the way that you want their, them to be taken care of. But almost all rescue organizations are totally full and, and many of them only pull pets from shelters. So What's your option then? It's either relinquish your pet to a shelter where you don't know what the outcome is going to be and and could be tragic or use Craigslist or, you know, something like that to find a stranger to take their, you know, your pet. So we created Rehome as kind of a a safer version of that, where if you have some time to keep your own pet and sort of foster your own pet while you're finding a new home, uh, Rehome It has lots of services to help you. So um, it gives you all of the tools that you need. It's a very supported experience. And what's unique about it is that it also supports, financially supports animal shelters and rescue organizations. So even though your pet isn't going into your local shelter, um, if your local shelter referred you into the the network, then the adoption fee that comes through gets passed 100% to that shelter or rescue.
0: Oh, and uh, I didn't realize that.
1: Yeah, so and and even when um when I was there we even ate the credit card fees. So it was like just oh, wow. it was really important for us to take some of the burden off of the shelters but not take away the financial support that comes from, you know, adopting out pets. So that that's Rehome and um that was something really incredible and it actually led to my current opportunity because uh Petco Love funded the, the initial build of Rehome. And so I became, you know, acquainted with the president of Petco Love, who then later came to me with this opportunity. So, you know, it, it just, Rehome is a really special thing. There's not much out there like it. And I think it really is the future of animal
0: welfare. That's, that's incredible, Abby. And tell us, I, I know most of my audience has heard of Petco, but I know we haven't all heard of Petco Love. So tell us about, you know, that that part of Petco and, and what that piece of the organization does.
1: Yeah, Petco Love is super cool. It's it's really interesting. It's been changing quite a bit over the last you know few years. It used to be just a granting organization. So um the the donation money that funds Petco Love comes from registered donations in Petco stores. So like when you're checking out you're buying your dog food and the the point of sale device asks if you want to donate $2 or $5. That all comes to Petco Love, and what that means is that we donate, I don't know, $30 million a year to animal shelters and rescue organizations, and so that's incredible, and that used to be all that we did, and then in the last couple of years, we started to spin up our own programs, including uh, a really cool piece of technology called Petco Love Lost, which is image recognition technology that helps to reunite lost pets with their families. So if you've lost a pet, you can just upload one photo of that pet and we use that photo to scan all of the local shelters in your area and all the reports of found pets in your area too. So um, it's, it's super cool. And that's a, it's a different mission than I've been working on for you know so many years. I was working on pet acquisition. Now I'm working on reuniting lost pets But the opportunity is huge uh, for impact because about 48% of pets that enter shelters are lost. And the reunion rate of those same pets is dismal. It's like less than 30% of those pets end up going home. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if, if we can prevent some of those pets from entering the shelter in the first place by sending them home before they get taken to the shelter, or if we can you know, help the shelter, move them out more quickly and reunite them with their owners. And also does a service for people who might be really desperately missing their pet and just not know where to look. I mean, that is incredible. I think about what does a world look like with 48% fewer pets and shelters? It's like, it's game changing. I mean, I don't think we'll ever get to that number, but as close as we can get, that's that's where I'm heading. So it's really an honor to be able to work on, on such a mission oriented product Um, it it really is all about just helping animals and people. It's totally free to everybody. We're not trying to monetize. We're not collecting personal information and selling it. It's just, it really is every day. We're like, how do we do a better job of helping animals go home?
0: Oh, Abby, that's so incredible. I'm sitting here with my dog underneath my feet, my little Sadie. And if she ever got out or whatnot and and I wasn't able to get reunited with her, I would be a mess. I mean, she's such an important part of my life. And she's my little pal. And I know other people feel the same way. So um, I will have the Petco Love Lost um, information in the show notes. But for those of you listening, the website is lovelost.org. And that's where you can access the free image recognition tool that will help you reunite your pet with your with other owners as well as you if you need that service. And I think what a great way to use technology. I mean, you know, to use technology in order for the reunification process is just incredible. It's such a great mission, Abby, and really such great work. So...
1: Thank you. And I'm hoping that it makes it easier for people to help animals too, because, you know, when you're out driving and you see a dog run in front of your car and you're like, oh yeah, shit, <laughs> now this is my responsibility. I have to help this pet. I don't have time for this. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, this, knowing that we can more quickly find that dog's home, um, you know, I hope that it will encourage more people to stop and pull over and, and try and help that pet.
0: Yeah, no, that's incredible. And you know, thinking about what you've already accomplished in your career, where you're at now, I'm curious to know what, what's what's next, what's on the horizon for you as you move forward?
1: The only thing that I haven't done that I would really like to do is I'd like to write a book. I'd like to write a, a book about authentic leadership. Um you know, working title, don't be an asshole, (laughs) you know, because that's so much of my philosophy is like, it's not rocket science, science. It's like, just be a human being and, you know, be, be an empathetic person and relate to people as other human beings and all will be well. So that is something I've been tossing around and, I have you know chapter outlines and things, but I haven't really sat down and knocked it out, but one of these days I'm gonna sit down and and get that done, all right, Abby. Well, you know
0: I'm a coach, so I'm going to hold you accountable to that because I Thank think <laughs> that title that title just summarizes honestly your leadership in terms of you know it's so authentic and it's so real and it's so relatable because the reality is, as we know, people leave bosses, they don't leave organizations you know, bosses and leaders, leaders have a huge effect on the culture and the microculture of their teams. Yeah, And, you know, when we, we've, we've all worked for assholes in, we've all been in that position and it's not, it's not healthy. It's, it's what creates toxic workplaces. And if we can give leaders tips and tricks, which are much needed from you, uh, in your book, that would be really helpful. So I'm curious to know, any any last words of wisdom that you have for my listeners as we close out this amazing conversation?
1: I think really the only thing that I want to share, and it's what I want to share all the time, is really anybody can be a leader. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking, you know, that it's kind of an us and them situation, like I'm who I am, but leaders are something else or a different animal, it's not the truth. And Honestly, like if we, if we delved into my background and some of the things that I'm insecure about, like my, my lack of a college education, for instance, which is something that I was deeply ashamed of for a long time, um, you know, if I can do it, really anybody can be a leader. It really is just recognizing those unique quirks in yourself that maybe you are thinking now might be a hindrance or a weakness of yours how can, how can you turn those around and look at them as a strength? You know, for instance, you know, my lack of college of a college education, I, I hid that for a very long time. Um, I thought it made me less than, and indeed, I'm sure that there are things that I would have learned in pursuing an MBA that I don't know now, or maybe took me much longer to learn than, than they would have otherwise. But in other ways, I have a totally different perspective. I have I didn't learn how to develop products from a book or be a leader from a book. I really had to learn it myself. So, you know, I'm sure that I, you know, failed miserably along the way, but eventually I think I came to a a pretty good place where I feel like I have a, a unique, I have a unique offering. And I think part of that is because I taught myself and, you know, went through the sort of school of hard knocks and learn through my own repeated failures. Um so I, I think if I can take something that was such a, a burden to me in terms of like my shame about it and learn to look at it in another way, I think anybody really can. So that's really my lesson is just trust yourself, understand who you are and bring all of that to work with you into your leadership life with you. Abby, you're you are not only an
0: authentic leader, but you, I love just everything that you share and how openly you share it. And I, I guess my one last question I know I said that was my last question, but I do have one last question for you. You know, you, you talk about your journey in leadership, you talk about your imposter syndrome and the shame that you felt that you didn't have a college education. And I think so many people in your position would. Let that get the best of them. And they wouldn't persevere. And they would maybe hold back and just say, Oh, you know, I'm not qualified to go on for that next role and that next role. And here you are. You were CEO. You're now COO. And you've done so much. So, what do you think is that unique quality that you have? Or what strength is that? Or what is that secret sauce that? gave you the confidence to overcome so many of those things that all of us struggle with?
1: Well, in this case, I don't think it was something internal. Um, I had someone who believed in me. Mm -hmm. And that, I think that's another big lesson here is, you know, there's mentorship and then there's sponsorship. You know, a mentor is someone who will give you great advice. A sponsor is someone who will go out of their way to take your hand and yank you up and the um the founder of adoptapet.com whose name is david meyer amazing amazing guy um i was just so so lucky to have been seen by him because early in my career with him i was so insecure but he saw something in me and constantly reminded me of it and constantly trusted me to do things and to you know break beyond my you know, the the barriers of my job description and do bigger and bigger things. And it was the biggest gift that anyone's ever given me because over time, you know, working with him, I learned to recognize those things in myself. And so I think if all of us can take our, you know, take the time when we see something in somebody else to really remind them of it and and help them recognize those same qualities in themselves, that is the biggest gift that we can give to people who are coming up after us. Mm. Abby, I have goosebumps as you're sharing that story because what,
0: I love that someone saw that in you. And I think what you're speaking into also is both the responsibility and the privilege that we have as leaders to to honor that for others and and to really give back that the that sponsorship to to others yeah. in in our organizations or even outside of our organizations, whether it be community service, whether it be whatever, whatever capacity you're involved in, to really see that potential in that younger leadership and and bring them up and and reach back and pull up behind you.
1: Yeah, you put it perfectly. It is a responsibility and it is very much a
0: privilege. Yes. Yes. Abby, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for sharing your authentic you and your leadership with my listeners. I know it's so valuable for everyone to hear your story and your experience and your insights. And just thank you for your time for being here. I really appreciate it.
1: Natalie, thank you for having me. This was so much fun. It was great. Thanks, Abby. We'll talk soon.